Hello, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bocor. This is episode 48, recorded on March the 3rd, 2023. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast, episode 48. My name is Kenneth Bocor, as you heard at the intro. Always great to uh, appreciate anybody listening in on this. I do get some emails and and, uh, responses from time to time, asking questions and people saying they enjoy the show. So if you do like what you hear, please send me an email. You can find all my details in the show notes. Now, as you folks know, I'm always scouring the planet to find smart people to talk about the EV marketplace. And yet again, I've been successful at finding another super smart person. I'm going to introduce uh, Christian Von Busch. She's the Director of Product Marketing for Experian Automotive. And we're going to talk about the EV marketplace and some of the analytics that they have around that marketplace and see what insights we can see. Christian, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me. I forgot to ask you where you're based. Are you based on the West Coast as well? I am not. I am in the Chicagoland suburbs. Oh, so you're getting the snow that's coming our way in about four hours. Yes, we are. <laughs> it hasn't started yet, but I do keep looking out my yeah. window. It should be any minute. Yeah, and we have this massive storm warning and all this kind of stuff. And it's I'm just looking at it going, okay, it's just another snow event. No big deal, right? And you're used to it in Chicago. Absolutely. Another day in the Midwest. <laughs> That's it. But it's been a pretty light, I don't know about you guys, but it's been a fairly light winter here for the Southern Ontario. I'm based outside of Toronto. So for the GTAs, it hasn't been too bad. I can't complain about it. Neither can I. Well, listen, again, thanks for taking the time. And, and um, you know, you guys focus on data research and analytics um, to deliver data and insights to both OEMs, uh, dealers, and, you know, they're in, in aftermarket companies as well as lenders, consumers, and many more. And um, that's kind of what I'm reading from the website. Um, Anything else you want to tell me about the organization before we get into talking about some of the EV market and research you've done? Yeah, you hit on a lot of the highlights there. I mean, at the simplest level, if you think about everything needed to buy a vehicle. So, Mm -hmm. of course, you need the vehicle. You need credit, some type of financing. And then you need the consumer. Mm-hmm. And Experian Automotive is the primary data source for all three of those. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, I'm looking at a, uh, a slide presentation that you did a little while ago, and we're going to be referencing that in our talk today. Uh, and absolutely, you know, looking at the market side, which is kind of, you know, the car and the credit side, and then the buyer, the consumer matching that to the credit. Now, we may not spend a lot of time on credit, but certainly that's an important play. I, I know in the U.S., as, as we are feeling here in Canada, inflation continuing to rise. We're trying to put... Um, the breaks on the the amount of of rising every month by 
the Bank of Canada continuing to raise interest rates and now holding them. But certainly that's impacting, you know, buyers' choice for vehicles, you know, used versus new, EVs versus um, ICE fees. Maybe let's start with that. Have you seen a shift uh, in your analysis over the last, uh, from, from when you produced this report, in those particular buying habits? Um, in the, the buying habits as far as their financing? Yeah. So obviously, you know, part of the issue we had with the EV marketplace was um, there wasn't a high demand, you know, just a, a few few years ago, a few short years ago. Uh, part of what I do is education and awareness, along with a lot of other people and governments and everything. We're seeing now the demand uptake quite a lot. So mm-hmm. we're seeing people start to look at um purchasing EVs when they can get one, because that's another challenge is the whole supply chain. But obviously, you know, your analysis has shown that that's a big part of the financial um, uh, business for a lot of the key lenders, correct? Is that shift from internal combustion to now electric vehicles? That's correct. I mean, from the analysis we did, looking at overall new retail electric vehicle registrations. And I just want to clarify for your audience that this analysis was looking at activity in the United States. Yes, the U.S. Mm -hmm. So if we look at new retail, and I call out retail because we were excluding fleet information by design, right? So none of the Mm -hmm. big purchases by, let's say, like a rental car company. Mm -hmm. We've seen that in the news as well. We have that information, but we really wanted to focus on consumers and their activity. Mm -hmm. So new retail EV purchases, we met and exceeded that 5% mark for registrations last year. The year wrapped at about 6% of EVs, just straight EVs. I mean, that's not including hybrids or you know PHEVs either. So including those, we're looking at um, upwards of 10% of registrations being attributed to those electrified vehicles. So that's only battery electric vehicles, correct? So yeah, 6% mm-hmm. of new retail mm-hmm. registrations are for battery electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing, seeing similar trends in the financing side. So last year, from a financing perspective, 5% of financing activity was also for electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that, you know, that matches the specs. I mean, I've heard these specs as well coming into 2023. Um, you know, that 5% adoption that, you know, a lot of a lot of analysts, and I'm sure including yourselves, will characterize that as a tipping point. And mm-hmm. again, you know, you mentioned this is a this is a, a, a viewpoint of the US marketplace, but we can leverage that viewpoint, um, you know, as as similar to other market spaces, you know, Canada, we're kind of joined at the hip, right? So, you know, if pickup trucks are number one in the US, they're almost number one, if not number one in Canada, there's that there's that association. So, the 5% doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, when I uh, I did a show at the beginning of the year saying that I think we fit that tipping point, it, it's an interesting um, number because it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's it's pretty substantial when you look at the size of the U.S. market. And I'll use the analogy of Hyundai as, a, as an OEM. You know, they have about 5% market share in the U.S., to my knowledge, and nobody would think that a Hyundai product is a not a normal vehicle that you would see every day is something different. People see Hyundai products all over the place, right? So um, in your opinion, then that 5% is a fairly substantial um, number in in that tipping point in the the movement towards all electrics? 
Yes, absolutely. I think it certainly is an indication that we will see increased consumer adoption. And if we look at just from a numbers percent mm-hmm. perspective, you know, we talked about that 5%, we wrapped the year up 2022 at 6% of registration. But from numbers, in 2021, there were over 450,000 new EV registrations. And that's a U.S. national number, right? That is, that's correct. Okay. In at the By the end of 2022, there were over 600,000 electric vehicle registrations. So, I mean, as you said, we're talking about a percent, but it's not insignificant. And certainly with the additional model entry that we are seeing and that we will continue to see next year, as well as for the next several years, the availability is going to be there. And I would anticipate that will only increase adoption. Mm-hmm. And currently to frame that, so you mentioned 450,000 registrations in 2021 and 600,000 in 2022. Is that 150,000 uh, for the year or is that a combined 600,000 for that 2022? Is that net new in addition yeah, to four? So, yeah. mm-hmm. so in 2020, so it, the, um, let me phrase it a different way. Mm-hmm. So yes, for 2022, Two, the entire new retail EV registration number was over 600,000. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is quite substantial because I haven't seen the Canadian numbers yet, but you know, we're usually a fraction of the US market anyway, like 10% or something. So, you know, in a good year for us, the light, the light duty vehicle segment will be, you know, one and a half to two millions of net new sales combined. You know, and out of that, we may see. 80,000 to 140,000 plugins. And that's not just all electrics, that's plugins in general. So you can see, uh, and hopefully uh, listeners can can listen that the numbers are quite small in Canada versus the US, but that, that's quite a substantial jump as you mentioned. Now, I believe that you've um, uh, mentioned in your report that you said that there's 280 plus million light duty vehicles, and these are on the road today. So this would be in the US, this would be considered the existing fleet of consumer vehicles. Is that correct? That's correct. There's over 280 million cars and light duty trucks in operation in the United States. So again, that's cars and light duty trucks. So not motorcycles, not marine, not heavy duty, Mm -hmm. 280 million cars and light duty trucks. And how many of that then combined total, um, because I don't know what that number is, would the, out of that 280 million, how much of that is either all electric or plug-in in general. Mm-hmm. Do you have well, uh, those numbers? I can give you the electric number off mm-hmm. the top sure. of my head. Yeah. So from an electric standpoint, less than 1% of vehicles in operation are electric. Okay. So um, it was just under 2 million vehicles at the end of December. The exact number for the end of November was over 1.8 million EVs were in operation. Okay, when you say EVs, that's battery electric, so full electric. Battery vehicles. electric, that's correct. Correct. Yeah. We have correct. the hybrid information. I don't recall mm-hmm. that off the top of my head, though. You know, that's okay because I've I looked at lots of reports and I do try to track what's going on globally. And the trend seems to be that out of plug-in vehicles that are being purchased, about seventy-five percent of those, or three quarters, tend to be all electric. Um, obviously, it'll vary state to state, country to country, but the general. Um, the data that's that's being presented out there globally for some of the different markets, that seems to be the trend uh, is, is 75%. So more people are now, I think, finding confidence 
in all electric vehicles with greater ranges and more infrastructure and, and you know additional benefits that uh, an all electric will give versus a plug-in hybrid. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's probably a fair, it's okay just to look at the BEV numbers. And I would agree with you that, you know, the plugins are allowing that additional comfort level for the consumer adoption of a complete EV. And mm -hmm. the data really supports that as well. In a different study that we did last fall, we looked at the conversion from a buyer standpoint to EVs and where were those EV buyers coming from? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and when we looked at ICE vehicles, we looked at hybrids, you know, and how many of them converted to an EV purchase. The numbers were fairly low for ICE vehicles, but over 23% of hybrid owners converted to a battery electric vehicle. Okay. Oh, that's so, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. To your point where really it I think that data illustrates that they have that confidence and comfort level of, you know, what's it like to drive an electric and what is the range and does this meet the, my needs? Exactly. And when you, conversion. and when you say the conversion from hybrid, are you talking about hybrid only or a combination of hybrid and plug-in hybrid into all electric? Are you um, breaking that, it down on that detail? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that number was for, um, hybrid and plug-in hybrid and plug-in okay yes. gotcha gotcha yeah. and um, are you still seeing a big uptake in hybrid only vehicles um from a registration perspective mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or that yes, slowly absolutely. dwindling mm -hmm. okay no, we are seeing um there's definitely continued consumer interest in hybrids <laughs> as well they seem to be almost the standard now you know where they weren't 20 years ago um, but now, you know, hybrid is almost the benchmark and, you know, and I'll pick on Toyota because I can, maybe you can't, but I certainly can, uh, you know, I'm glad that they've come out with an all electric, but you know, they do, they do advertise that they have an electrified portfolio and they're not mistaken in that they're not misleading. It just happens to be 90 plus percent hybrid only with a, a couple of plug-in or prime model vehicles, as they call them in one all electric. So, um, you know, I'm really hoping that they pick up on the sense that they kind of need to do more and move away from the hybrid only approach into, uh, you know, bigger plug-in vehicles as a minimum and or more all electrics to, uh, to further EV adoption. But, uh, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people don't, you know, they'll kind of peel those layers back. So uh, based on your numbers uh, for, um, again, we're talking about all electrics in the U.S. Obviously, I mean, it's no, no surprise that California is the big gorilla there for EV adoption, right? You can't swing a, a stuffed animal. I won't say dead cat. I'll say a stuffed cat. How is that? A stuffed animal, toy stuffed animal around without hitting a Tesla in California as an example. Um, was there anything, though, surprising beyond California that caught your attention from uh, from U.S. state adoption? Yeah. And I mean, just to touch on California for a minute, as you said, they have been just a geography that has really embraced the EV. I mean, just under 40 percent of those registrations we talked about, like 36 percent mm -hmm. of them are in the state of California. And if you even just look at California itself, 40% um, of the EVs that are registered within California are in the Los Angeles, Los Angeles Long Beach, Anaheim DMA. Mm. 
Okay. So LA um, County, Orange County kind of areas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if we took it, a look at the nation as a whole, and we said of all the EVs that are registered in the United States, 15% of them are in that DMA alone, that mm, Los Angeles, wow. Long Beach, Anaheim area. Wow. So absolutely enormous adoption um, within California. But as you said, we really wanted to look at, well, what about outside of California? And I think there's still sometimes this myth that people in cold climates are not <laughs> buying electric vehicles and the data just doesn't support that. I mean, we are seeing top DMA regions outside of California as well. Um, the Denver area, right? Um, mm -hmm. Certainly in Washington, um, mm -hmm. Seattle, Portland, um, Chicago, Minneapolis, you know, so many of these colder weather climates Boston, Philadelphia, mm -hmm. where, I mean, we can no longer make that assumption that, oh, if it's cold, if it snows, people aren't going to buy an electric vehicle. <laughs> Simply just not true. It's a great observation. I mean, I'm here living in the great white north, as we call it. So, and there's lots of all electrics here. Uh, again, I can't drive to work and back without seeing at least 10 Teslas and, and or other all electrics on the road. We have quite a lot more adoption here. And it's not a surprise that some of the ZEV states that like, uh, you know, Oregon, Washington state um, are, you know, and others, some of the East Coast ones are having higher adoptions. I see New York states up there. And it's not a surprise to see, you know, states like Florida and Texas with, with adoption. I'm a little surprised at Texas. I'm always surprised at Texas. I don't know why. I keep seeing stuff from Texas going, why is that not so, why is that surprising me? Um, it's, it's not just for the warmer climates. What's, what are you attributing some of those larger spikes for those two states in particular, uh, looking at all the electrics? What's driving that market there? Yeah, I mean, we looked at the top DMA activity, but we also looked at the fastest growing DMAs. Mm -hmm. And by fastest growing, I want to define that for your audience. So we required a market to have at least 1,000 new retail electric vehicle registrations. And then we looked at the five-year, year-over-year growth average. And you mentioned Texas, but two Texas DMAs are in that fastest growing space, San Antonio, mm -hmm. Houston, mm -hmm. and okay. in the Florida space, Tampa, Miami, Orlando, right? Absolutely mm -hmm. in those fastest growing DMAs as well. I think a lot of it is the technology adoption. So from a EV buyer perspective, when we look at the demographics and the psychographics of that buyer, technology is so important to that buyer, where sometimes it's less about the vehicle and more about the technology. So mm -hmm. some of this growth you're seeing is certainly reflected in some what we would, you know, traditionally consider to be technology hotbeds in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's a great segue when I'm looking at, you know, your slide about some of the brands that are leading in the vehicle uh, registrations uh, for last year. You know, it's no surprise that that Tesla is is 50 to you know 60 percent of that marketplace. Again, they are more of a technology company than they are a car company nowadays. I own a Model 3. I love it. It's, but that's the fact. You know, it is it is a technology on wheels. But I think what I picked up on that data point was that I thought they would be more, first of all, they, they used to be higher. So that means that we're seeing GM and other EVs starting to chip away at that marketplace. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are. I mean, um, you know, we've been looking at this information over time as well. And I can tell you that the Tesla market share in June was just about 70%. Uh, for 2022. Now, as of the end of the year, it was just over 65%. So -hmm. yes, Tesla market share has declined as market share for other manufacturers has increased. However, I want to call out one thing that I think it's important to note is that the pie is getting bigger. Mm -hmm. So their market share has declined. Absolutely. But their sales volume continues to rise as more units are sold. Yeah, it's a great observation, which I was going to talk about as well. So, yeah, they may be lowering their, their again, their dominance of the market. And that's great because competition will bring that. But as you mm-hmm. said, the pie is getting bigger now. There's more and more people looking at EVs every year as they expand out. So that's a good, it's a good data point to kind of look at for EV adoption. Uh, which is excellent. Now, looking at just some of your slides, you, you, again, referencing those DMA regions, and it was interesting, you know, those fastest growing ones, as you mentioned, that were probably in, in areas that we wouldn't think. Are they contrib- Is those fastest growing areas, to me, it looks like there's a correlation between those regions and also you talk about public charging infrastructure. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a correlation where you're seeing this increase in public charging infrastructure. Um, obviously, it's going to help drive EV adoption because people are going to f- start seeing some of these chargers out there. Yeah, absolutely. And that range anxiety, you know, that has been something that consumers have had concerns over for making that transition to EV of how am I going to charge my vehicle? Where am I going to charge it? You know, will I be able to get where I need with a charge? So seeing increased numbers of public charging stations is so important. And as you said, we overlaid that information of the fastest growing DMAs with the reported information from the National Renewable Energy Laboratory of all public charging stations. So we looked at that and there at this time, what was reported here was about 50,000 public charging stations with over 110,000 charging ports. Mm. Um, So certainly this isn't reflective of anyone that had a charger installed at home right. or, you know, from a private um, charging or standpoint. Or like that, but yeah. mm-hmm. as you said, as we see additional adoption, we're going to see additional infrastructure to support that adoption. It just has to happen. Exactly. And and we're seeing that same pattern in Canada, by the way, as well. So for our ZEV provinces, you know, being BC and Quebec, two of the, the big ones, they're rolling out, you know, charging infrastructure like they're doing tomorrow, but here in Ontario, and we continue, the federal government and provinces continue to invest money in partnerships as well. So that's great to see. And obviously the IRA and things that are happening in the U.S. are helping to fuel that with this, you know, national um, additional charging infrastructure of half a million, I believe, stations uh, within within this decade um, and, and all kinds of, you know, increasing the incentives and removing the caps and things like that. Um, and making making that incentive more available to clients. What was an interesting slide, I guess it shouldn't be too interesting, was the the segment of new EV registrations in the vehicle segments. And, and I may be a bit colorblind, so I'm just trying to pick up on the colors. But to me, it looks like the either the pickup truck or the SUV wagon was the number one market in 2022. Can you clarify that for me? 
Yeah, absolutely. So for new EV retail registrations by vehicle segment, the largest segment was for SUVs and wagons. So mm -hmm. kind of those SUV CUVs, right? Mm -hmm. And then the car, think of it as like the sedan, um, was the second largest. Now pickups in 2022 for EV registrations were a very small percentage. However, I'll give a disclaimer on that because there really wasn't model availability. Right. And just to call out one specific example, the Rivian, right? So the Rivian R1T arrived on the scene, right? In the spring, it had about half a percent of market share. And at the end of the year, it was nearing 2%. It was over 1.7% market share. Mm. So I would expect to see a lot of shift and change in the segment um, breakdown of the market as we see more and more EV pickups being available to consumers. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly it. Um, you know, folks know that in the internal combustion vehicle market space, the F-150 is the number one selling vehicle, both in the U.S. and Canada. And Ford will tout some numbers around 44, 45 years or so that it's been their, their number one, and, and they're certainly there. But yeah, the SUV slash wagon is the biggest market. I mean, I can go to any Costco on any given day and see 90% of the vehicles being SUVs uh, and those type of things. So it's not a surprise that we're seeing, you know, first or early entry points by OEMs in those particular vehicle categories, right? In SUVs. And everybody keeps saying to me, why are they keep coming out with SUVs? You know, well, then that's what people are buying, right? So. Yeah. And, and again, you have data that supports that. And you're right, the F-150 hadn't had a full year, so it was still, you know, getting some inventory out. Rivian, I mean, that's an astonishing, it's not a big number, but they've tripled basically, you know, within a short amount of time, which is quite substantial for, for a startup company. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, certainly we saw initial demand growing with the Ford F-150 Lightning as well. I mean, they um, didn't have quite as much market share as the Rivian, mm -hmm. but it was very early stages. So the pickup segment will be one to watch for sure. Well, and this will be an exciting year. Um, and I'm glad you segued on that because, I mean, we've got the GM, uh, you know, the Chevy Silverado EV coming out, starting to ship this year. And, uh, uh, you know, more and more pickups that are, you know, the Denali or the Sierra version uh, coming next year. Um, you know, Stellantis has, has offered their Ram 1500 Rev. Um, so hopefully in the next two years, I think by 2025, so that market is going to heat up beyond the players that are already there, like Rivian and some others. Absolutely. Very interesting. So again, no surprise that Tesla is the number one. You know, I think looking at your charts, over 60, about 65% of all new EV registrations were a combination of the Model Y, 3S, and X. Um, but I, again, it's good to see vehicles like the Ford Mach-E and, and the Bolt, you know, I, I was a little surprised at the Bolt EUV because, you know, GM had their problems with stop sale and recall and, you know, stuff going on. Uh, did that number surprise you as well? You know, I think similar to what you said with seeing that, that consumer demand for those CUVs, those SUVs, the wagons, if you will. I mean, the Chevy Bolt EUV had the higher 3.23%, but the Bolt EV itself was just under 1% market share. So I think, again, it just reflects that consumer demand for a larger vehicle. 
Yeah, and it doesn't sound like a lot. You know, I, I've done reviews on both, and I absolutely love the EUV. And personally, I would prefer that over the the Bolt EV. Three inches in the back seat doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're sitting in there for a while, it makes a big difference. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's really all it is, just a slight little repackaging of that. So uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that. But yeah, we're, we're still very much... Um, a, a continent because I'll lump Canada into this of, of larger vehicles of a bit more space. You know, I'm I'm I come from the sides of having smaller vehicles, so I'm fine with with hatchbacks and that kind of stuff. Um, you talk about some of the market insights in your report, and we talked about the tipping point already, and but also you know about a lot of the dynamic changes in those those DMAs and manufacturer market shares that we're starting to see. Other manufacturers claw away at Tesla's dominance per se. Um, and more mainstream adoption, right? And and is that all, what do you think that's attributed to? Is that just because there's people like myself that are spreading the word that EV are, EVs are good and we should we should all try to save the planet? Or is it is it a combination of multiple factors on why buyers are starting to look at EVs? Yeah, I, I do think it's a combination of multiple factors. <clears throat> Excuse me, it mm-hmm. is the demand for technology you know, where initially there was a a focus of the EV buyer really being that technology aware individual. Mm -hmm. Also, as we're seeing additional buyer adoption, there certainly is more interest in, I'm going to call it a organic um, and green buying style, right? As we talk about lifestyle segmentations and psychographic insights, you know, certainly that is an important thing to these buyers as well. And range anxiety, you know, range anxiety has been a really big thing for people, but as they see other people owning EVs and the availability and access to quickly and easily charge the vehicles, um, that eliminates some of that anxiety at least. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also model availability where what's available, what types of EVs are available. And I think this year is gonna be so interesting as we've seen the price drop from Tesla specifically as thus far the market share leader and to see how that impacts adoption um, at that lower price point. Yeah, that's a great observation. You know, it's interesting. You see Tesla, you know, most OEMs will change their pricing, but nobody changes as, as much as Tesla does. You know, week to week, you never know what you're going to get. And, you know, they're back at 2020 level pricing. I mean, you know, I bought my, my Model 3 in 2020 in September or in the summer. And uh, even though the, the long range isn't still available, uh, it's still on a stop sale for North America. Um, everything else that was available in 2020 is at the price that it was then, you know, for the, so the Model Ys and the S's and X and the S's and X's have dropped. So the, becoming, you know, much more competitive um, to helping drive some of that costing down for some of the other OEMs, because certainly price, we haven't hit price parity and, you know, and justifying that cost is still some hard pill for people to swallow in some cases, even though we know that there's a really positive uh, you know, total cost of ownership uh, for all electrics. Uh, you know, there's a really good ROI story to be found in going all electric versus internal combustion. You touched upon the charging infrastructure. I mean, most people overlook the fact that m- the majority of EV owners actually charge at home. So 
I have a Tesla Model 3 and there's tons of supercharging around where I am, but 95% of my charging is done in my garage. My home is my gas station, right? And so yes. I can wake up every day with 80, 90, whatever, whatever percent that I choose to, to have in the vehicle. So you can't get that with fuel. And that's a lot of people forget those advantages. And, you know, even if we look at, uh, I talk to people about the low hanging fruit of the market. So just look at people that have a house or a townhouse or a row house or a semi or something that have the ability to either plug into an external plug, a 110 even, or have the ability to put in a level two charger. In Canada, that's like 8 million homes. Well, we've only got 300,000 plugins on the road in Canada. So there's a big discrepancy there of, of just low-hanging fruit type of customers that OEMs can go after. And I know there's urban and there's high density and I get condos and I get all this stuff, but you know, let's maybe focus some education on those. And I'm sure in the US, it's 10 times the market size. Mm -hmm versus Canada. So, uh, and, and that's leading me to uh, something that I heard a couple of weeks ago, and you, and you talk about this in your presentation, where um, I was doing a CBC, CBC Vancouver uh, call-in show, and four out of the five people said to me on that show, all electrics are for the wealthy. And I hadn't heard that for about four years, uh, when our current um, existing government provincially uh, was initially campaigning to get in. And the premier was saying, I'm doing away with incentives because I don't want to give money to, to rich people to buy Teslas. And then he was quoted saying that many times. So, and, and now I'm hearing this from a very progressive area of Canada, the, the West Coast, which is like Oregon and Washington. It's it's a Zev uh, province here. And I'm hearing that, that, that you know, idea from people that, all electrics are for the wealthy. What's your take on that? Because you did you did some analysis on household incomes, and I, I don't see that unless I'm missing something. Yeah, I I would agree with you. I don't see that in the data either. Um, I think that is a kind of a perhaps a old tape, if you will. Um, but <laughs> and I, I know just, the reference to tape. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> I see the. Yeah. The data that I see doesn't support that. So let me give you some specifics. So mm -hmm. if we look at EV registrations and we look at it by household income, and you know we've tracked this over time, for non-luxury electric vehicles, so looking at the vehicle segment of non-luxuries, right? Um, middle income households actually outpace upper income for non luxury EV purchases. Mm -hmm. Now, if we look at luxury electric vehicles, they those two income levels, so middle income and upper income, really were sometimes middle income in like 2018, 2019, um, even the start of 2020, middle income was outpacing upper income from a registration standpoint. Now, right at 2020, upper income did begin to outpace middle income for luxury EV purchases, but they were very close. There was in 2021, they were just really neck and neck, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the lines were so close together. If you look at it from a data charting perspective, yes. and even in 2022, they were pretty close together. We didn't start to see any gaps in that space until late in the year with inflation. Mm, okay. So 
you know, certainly there may be some impact from inflation, um, but I, I would disagree with the comment of, you know, only the wealthy um, are purchasing them. And what's your cutoff for luxury versus non-luxury vehicles? What's the MSRP on that? Yeah, so it's actually by the manufacturer. So okay. for example, mm -hmm. Tesla would be a luxury mm -hmm. um, vehicle. And then um, like Ford, for example. So, you know, that Ford F-150, that can be very pricey, mm -hmm. but it is considered to be a non-luxury make. Right, because you have work versions of that as well, and the Mustang Mach-E and, and other other items. No, that, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, I mean, Tesla does say they are a luxury brand, so that's why you know they're priced accordingly. But it is very interesting to see that disparency in, you know, in and when we talk about non-luxury electric vehicles, people may think, well, you know, that's that's a leaf and a bolt. Well, there's a lot more than just leaves and bolts that are available to the public. You know, we talked about some of the, the GM stuff, but there's Kias as Hyundais, there's VW products, you know, there's um, uh, even Mazda has thrown their hat in the ring with the, the MX-30, uh, you know, like it or not. BMW, the i4 is, is it has a good starting um, uh, MSRP, and you could consider that a luxury brand, um, but still at some fairly affordable, you know, price points. So, you know, I would challenge people to look at the pricing um, that's available in, in the respective regions and kind of really see for themselves that, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to have an upper income and in, in according to your charts of 150K or higher to afford an all electric vehicle. And, you know, you've got data that supports uh, the opposite of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we took it one step further and didn't just look at demographic information, but we also looked at psychographic information. Mm -hmm. Can you explain so, that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So looking at, I would call it lifestyle segmentation. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the U.S. population as a whole and then categorize that population into broad groups and then narrower types. So there's 71 different lifestyle segments within the United States. And looking at the segments then for new EV buyers, you know, we were tracking this over time and for the top five lifestyle segments for EV buyers, if I look at the percentages of the market share that they had in July of last year versus December in last year, they about halved. So what that tells me is there's so many more different buyers coming on the scene. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you know, the very wealthy may have been buying electric vehicles. They still are, but it's at a lower percentage of the entire market. And all of those are about cut in half because there's so many other buyers entering that market. Yeah, it's an interesting observation. I looked at these charts, but I didn't make that connection until you just said it. So absolutely. So to me, that means that, you know, more choice in broader pricing scales are helping to drive that change in, in the demographics and the, the lifestyle segmentation, right? So as you said, um, by the chart, you know, uh, in July of last year, 25% were wealthy and 15% by the end of the year. So that extra 10% went to other, you know, segments, right? Because it's being diversified because more and more um, households and, and, you know, people are, are having the ability to buy into this marketplace because we're seeing much more choice in vehicle, uh, uh, in, of vehicles that are out there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And just with the greater model choice, as you said, lower model costs, 
between that continued mainstream adoption, um, we're only going to, I would expect to see, we'll only have additional um, buyer differentiation this year and in the coming years. So it'll just get you know more mixed up as we go, um, as that affordability factor. You know, can, I mean, we'd still like to see cost parity. We'd still like to see pricing come down, um, but it's interesting that uh, you know that mix is, is certainly happening just by the nature of the way the market's going. You know, I don't think that there are external forces acting on that. You know, you you talk about some of the the methods of persuasion, I guess, for some of these uh, types of buyers, you know, in, in do they buy based on TV ads? So, you know, every year I watch the Super Bowl and every year there's more and more all electric ads that, that the OEMs spend big money on. Like these aren't, you know, little things, right? Uh, these are millions, millions of dollars worth of spots that they spend money on, um, you know, to push, you know, GM as an example, to push, you know, the Equinox or the Blazer or whatever. Um, so are you, are you, what are you seeing as, I guess, the most influential way that people are starting to get that interest in EVs? Is it TV? Is it social media? I mean, are, you know, is there something there? Well, it depends on the segment. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's TV for the second lifestyle segment. We would call them cosmopolitan achievers. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not the first one for the other four of the top five. So lifestyle segmentation is just so important for marketing campaigns and for targeted communication, really understanding who that buyer is and who you're looking to target. Because for one group, it could be TV, and it is TV in the mm -hmm. EV space. Um, for a different group, though, the um, lifestyle segment that has historically been number one. They used to have about 25% of market share. The end of the year, they were down to 15%. Email and social was number one for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, retirees buying electric vehicles, um, call them philanthropic sophisticates. Mm -hmm. In the third group, email's number one for them. I mean, the number one family group buying them. Actually, radio was really important. So again, it just really depends okay. on that lifestyle segment for your buyers um, who are in market. Yeah. So, you know, as you've shown in your data on some of the EV buyer insights, you know, certainly the segmentation matters. So if OEMs are looking who to target for certain vehicles, they need to understand those segments and the demographics, the psychographics, and, you know, again, those preferences that they're getting there their advertising or media information in within those those spaces. Um, and as we said, you know, we're going to continue. And again, what you're talking about in the U.S. is mirroring what's going on in Canada. Well, we should see more buyer diversification in, in the EV market space because there's just more choice. It's not just Tesla anymore. It's, you know, I keep a chart of all the all electrics available in Canada to purchase. Um, or that are starting, you know, to, to be opening for reservations this year kind of thing. And it starts from 35,000 and it goes to 220,000 as an MSRP. And it's about 140 lines line or, uh, you know, lines of a spreadsheet. So that's not, doesn't mean it's 140 individual models, but it's 140 models slash trims within those models. And when I started that spreadsheet, it was about 15 lines long about five years ago. So it just shows how massively we've grown. And, you know, I know you guys are predicting even more choice for the next couple of years, correct? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know we, you know, we're tracking at just what the named models. So of mm-hmm. course, there's a lot of um, manufacturer intent for additional models to come out that may be unnamed at this time. But for the models that have been named, as at the end of June, there were 80 that were named for the next several years. By the end of 2022, it was over 150 named models Hmm. between 2023 and 2027. Wow, that's huge. And I don't think we've seen that kind of growth in the market, in the automotive market in a long time. Maybe if ever, I don't know. It's going to be really exciting to see, you know, how this market continues to expand mm-hmm. and what that growth will be for the next several years. It's certainly a dynamic place to be. Absolutely. And and one thing I'd like to close on, you know, we, we you talked about, um, you know, the OEMs and how they're handling things. We talked about some of the credit and the financing side, you know, what they're seeing from an uptake. Um, yeah, but you've got some information for takeaways for that segment of the market space, like like the OEMs and dealers, you know. And, and I had a previous conversation about this because we do struggle with with dealers, you know, um, not really understanding the market space maybe as as well as they should be. Um, there are you know individuals sometimes at a dealership. Oh, I'm the EV champion guy or gal, so go see go see him or her. Um, so they kind of get it and they can they can go into some of those areas because the biggest complaint that I've heard from uh, from people who have recently bought an EV is that, you know, they realize, oh, well, it's wintertime and I'm only getting, you know, half my range that the, that the guy said I get 300 miles, but I'm getting 200. Like, what's going on? Something wrong with the car or, you know, other things that they don't necessarily educate them on. So, you know, you guys talked about about these industries doing their homework, you know, being able to present position EVs within their dealership because I, I I get stories from people that walk in wanting to get X and they're being told, no, you don't want X. You, we're going to give you, you want Y because A, it's on the lot or we can get it faster. So, you know, they're not really listening. And then there's that financing difference and, and then EV buyers are different. Do you want to kind of summarize that for me? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> as you said, the from a dealership perspective, you know, there needs to be that confidence to be able to buy and sell electric vehicles with confidence. So from a new EV perspective, you know, the OEMs are coming out with a lot of education, a lot of information, but embracing that and understanding it because the EV buyer is different, right? They are a very savvy researcher. They're very technology um, fluent, But also, as we see more and more new EVs in the marketplace, they're in turn going to become pre-owned electric vehicles. And we're seeing independent dealers pop up that specialize in EV. And from a franchise perspective, I'd say franchise dealers need to make sure that they are comfortable presenting and positioning pre-owned EVs, you know, answering those consumer questions about range of the vehicle. What was it when it was new? What is it mm-hmm. expected to be in the future? How much battery warranty is left on this? You know, how does this impact the value of the vehicle? They have to be prepared to have those conversations to ensure that consumer confidence um, in the purchase if they're retailing it, but also as consumers 
bring in EVs on trade. They need to be prepared to evaluate those vehicles for trade-ins. Yeah, you know, great, great observation and points. I know that there are some tools out there. You guys mentioned recurrent, and I've had them on on a podcast as well about what they do in helping, you know, get get history of an EV because it is different. You know, I could have a 100,000 mile EV. But if I've just home charged or trickle charge all the time, the battery is going to have maybe 5% degradation. So mileage doesn't necessarily be need to be the key indicator in an all electric, right? It's there's a lot of other different ways of looking at that. And you know, we know in an internal combustion, 100,000 miles, well, you can expect a level of wear and tear and and how much life might be left in that vehicle based on that. But with an EV, all electric especially, it's totally different. There are different metrics. So uh, I know that you guys talk about recurrent. You guys have, uh, I think, a product as well, an auto check report. That is that for uh, dealers or is that a consumer based report? Yeah. So um, auto check is both, right? I mm-hmm. mean, our primary focus is the commercial market, but certainly consumers. Give you guys a plug here. So plug your product. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, they could go to autocheck.com and buy that. Mm-hmm. But from a commercial standpoint, in the U.S., we are not in Canada, but in the U.S. Dealers can absolutely leverage an auto check vehicle history report because an electric vehicle is still a vehicle. Mm-hmm. You still want to know how many owners did it have? Did it have an accident? Was there any damage to this vehicle? You know, mm-hmm. was it at auction? Was there a frame announcement for it? And what we would recommend is then using that for pre-owned EVs hand in hand with the recurrent battery report, because the recurrent battery report is then going to give you that history about the electrification of that vehicle. What's the expected range on a charge? How has climate or temperature impacted the vehicle? How much battery warranty is left? So you can really make an informed decision about the full vehicle history of the pre-owned EV. Absolutely. And that market space, again, is is heat is hot. It's been heated even more with, you know, the the lack of new inventory. So people are turning to use inventory. It's unfortunate with, you know, with supply and demand that prices go up because there's more demand. That's just the way the market is. So, you know, used EVs become more expensive than they probably should be. We've seen a softening here in Canada. I think there's been a bit of a softening in the used EV market space as well. Um, but, you know, they still hold their value tremendously well, EVs versus internal combustion vehicles. So it's all great information for people that are shopping, not just for new, but for used vehicles. And they should look at some of these tools uh, and things that are available for them. In a final question, then, Kirsten, what what would you um, say is, is something that you're going to be watching for 2023? What do you think are maybe the top couple of things, trends that you may see continue into 2023? Or we may see some changes in maybe either some of that positioning or maybe, you know, a displacement from one trend to another. Any observations you might have for that? Yeah, a couple of things that I'll be watching closely just as we have been tracking this over time. But first and foremost is the overall registrations, right? How those registrations are trending. I would expect them to continue to grow. And with those registrations, what vehicles are being registrations? Is the vehicle segmentation of the EV market shifting? You know, where we see the dominance of CUVs and SUVs today, sedans, really interested to see the impact of pickups and how that shifts the overall percentage of the market from a segment standpoint. 
And then with additional adoption, looking to see the insights about the buyers. You know, how does that buyer profile continue to shift and expand as we have more volume and more model availability? And if you were to pick up an OEM besides Tesla that you may anticipate will um, kind of really move forward in this marketplace for 2023, is there one or two that you would highlight in that mix? Oh, gosh. Oh, you don't want to say. I, pick, I don't know if I can pick favorites in that space. It's There's not to say favorites. So many who, of them to watch. who do you think might be more of a mover and shaker than some of the others? You know, like people know, I'm. I, they, they know that I've been promoting GM for quite some time. I, I believe in what Mary's trying to do and what they're doing. And it takes time to scale, to, to tool, to get that economies of scale, to get things going. I think this is a great year for them. The Equinox is my EV of the year because of the importance it plays in the market space. Um, in that more mass market adoptable frame, you know, price point and what you get with that, you get good range and good fast charging. It is not really sacrificing a lot in that vehicle. So I think they're, if they can build, you know, I think every one that they're going to build, they're going to sell. It's just a matter if they can build many. So GM would be one of the ones I would think this would be a great year for them to be a mover and shaker. But what's your opinion on maybe the one or two this year that you might think uh, uh, might move and shake things up? Yeah, so I think, you know, if we look at the information from last year, just as far as where the um, market share was by make last year, as you mm -hmm. said, of course, Tesla had the lion's share of the market share with over 65%, but Ford had over 6%. Chevy and Kia both had over 4%. So I think it will be really interesting to see if they maintain that second, third, and fourth place positioning. Or, you know, we saw a lot of growth. I mentioned Rivian, right? I certainly don't expect them to jump to um, number two or three, but for being new on the scene and already gaining, you know, with the R1T. Um, the market share that they did, and then mm -hmm. the R1S, I, um, I'm interested to see what their growth is as well. Um, but they will have tough competition with that Ford F-150 Lightning. So I'm most excited to see what happens in the pickup space. Yeah, great observation and a good diplomatic answer as well. Does that not get you in trouble? Except we're not trying to pick favorites. Uh, and I would tend to agree with that. I think, you know, a lot of the OEMs, the South Koreans, the the U.S. base, they're all pushing hard. You know, Stellantis is probably the weakest out of the three, you know, the big three as far as being able to bring models uh, to market this year. Uh, certainly in other other countries where they have more brands, they'll be able to do make more of a difference. But uh, I, I would agree. I think that those are great observations. And it'll be interesting on Rivian. You know, uh, I do follow them and I do comment. You know, I hope that they can continue to do what they do as they burn the cash that they're burning. They've got to turn that around eventually. But, you know, Tesla went, you know, years and years in, in negative cash flow. Uh, and look at what the powerhouse and the market caps that they've had uh, in recent history to blow people's minds. And I mean, based on that interest, just for the small amount of time that the Lightning and the mm -hmm. R1T has been out and available, I mean, with, as you said, the Silverado arriving on the scene, um, I think there's there's an opportunity to shake things up for this uh, year. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with that new model introduction. You know, there's a lot of growth in that space. And, um, you know, certainly, um, as you said, Chevy, GM, they could spice things up as well. 
I hope so, because the market needs to be spiced up. So it's all good for consumers, right? At the end of the day, it's good for consumers. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation and we've reached our time. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to your visit date to talk about this analysis. It's quite uh, quite interesting. And I hope folks listening got some good information out of this. I've been speaking to Kirsten Von Busch. She's the uh, Director of Product Marketing for Experian Automotive. How can fi people find Experian Automotive? Yeah, so absolutely. Please follow us online. So we do a lot of information sharing on LinkedIn. So Experian Automotive on LinkedIn. And also we share with the industry three different quarterly trend reports. So we have the state of the automotive finance market, we have market registrations, but we also have a new report, the automotive consumer trends. Mm -hmm. And some nuggets of information like we've talked about today, we share through those reports. They are available for download. People can listen to them to gain additional insights, but the best part is they're all free. So someone wow. just has to go out on, and they can find those on experian.com. Well, that's excellent. I will have to look for them and uh, I will have to make a note and uh, to reach back to you in six months to eight to nine or 10 months again when you come out with the snapshot of the EV market space and see if some of the observations that you're looking for actually occur and have, have, a, have another dive in the analysis there. It's been a fascinating conversation. And again, I really much appreciate you taking the time and thank you for being on the show today. Well, thank you. I so enjoyed it. Have a great afternoon. You too. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments. Email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at evrevshow. I'm also on Instagram, evrevolutionshow. And if you uh, have any suggestions for shows, please let me know. Thanks again for listening. And please, everybody stay safe. And until the next time, I'll see you when I see you.